Hello everybody, welcome back to Pod BM 2021 Election Edition. I'm excited about this one. We are starting the Bloomington mayoral races. These are big deals. These are the only offices in Bloomington that are elected by the entire city. So I really look forward to seeing what these candidates have to say. We have Jackie Gunderson on today. And we are also going to follow this right up at the same time with Mike Straza. Boca Malamboy has not accepted our invitation to come in yet. Hopefully his schedule frees up and he changes his mind and comes to visit us because we'd like to be able to offer you all three of them. But in the meantime, you can hear from both of these two who were able to make the time to come talk to us. And of course, now you're bracing yourself to hear from me about Little Beaver Brewery. But Jackie actually starts by saying some really nice things about Little Beaver. So I'm just going to go ahead and let you start the episode and hear what Jackie has to say for once instead of me rambling on. And so here is Jackie Gunderson, Bloomington mayoral candidate with Justin and special guest co-host Amelia Burgess. Thanks for coming to help us out, Amelia. We appreciate it. All right. We're going to start in three, two, one. Welcome to Pod B and Election Edition. We are joined uh, by Bloomington mayoral candidate Jackie Gunnerson. Jackie, welcome to Pod B and. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Yeah, it's it's uh, a little cold out, but warmer than it has been. So I'll take it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been looking forward to this conversation. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. Well, uh, we'd like to start off, just give you an opportunity to introduce yourself to the listeners of the podcast. Uh, let us know who you are, a little bit about your background. Awesome. Well, I actually, before we dive in, because I literally have a laundry list of things that I would like to discuss with you, I do want to say two things. One, um, I've been listening to these um, podcasts and I'm super thankful for Little Beaver's sponsorship of this series. It's been super insightful to me. I'm super excited to have Amelia here because I loved her episode. Um, I know that Pat Lawler indicated that he'd never been to um, Will Beaver, but my experience is exactly the opposite. Um, and I was just so impressed with the way that they um, intentionally renovated their space and um, aligned it with safely reopening and uh, the, their foresight to include things like the big a blank blank fan and their specific HVAC system to meet their new needs, I think is a really great um, demonstration for us. Oh, and their incredible patio space, obviously, uh, for those of us that weren't trying to take those gatherings inside yet. Um, I think it's a great demonstration of the ways that we can all be intentional with renovations and projects. Um, So I just want to give major props to them. And I wanted to cancel out Pat, um, since he had never been there. That is not the case for the Gundersons. I love it. Um, And then two, Amelia, I don't know you personally, but I do know that Justin and I are passionately in agreement on a lot of topics that have been covered on other episodes. So I'm just going to warn you that you might have to keep us in line or this episode might be three hours long. (laughs) So um, I'll jump in. Um, I'm Jackie Gunderson and I'm running for mayor of Bloomington. And before I ever considered running for office It's been my personal mission to always contribute positively to my community, to roll up my sleeves, um, to build it up, and um, to just leave it a little better than I found it. And so I've been living that out in my personal and professional life, and now I want to lead with that mission um, in City Hall. So I moved to McLean County 10 years ago to attend ISU. And I think you probably will hear that from a lot of candidates. We moved here for ISU and never left, um, which I think is a really important um, topic that we should be spending more time on is keeping those bright minds in Bloomington normal, right? Um, But I fell in love with the community. I never left. Um, I call it home now. Um, My spouse and I were not born here. We were not raised here, but we call Bloomington home. We fell in love with each other here. We fell in love with the community and we've set our roots. So um, for me, it's a blessing to live in this community. And I consider it my personal duty to continue to pour that love back into this community. So we bought a house in Southwest Bloomington. We've started our dream small business here. We adopt and foster senior pets um, and give them uh, a home for their remaining years. And, you know, all of that is just to give you a little picture of who I am. But separate from that, I also have a job. Um, I'm a procurement manager at Illinois State University. 
and I'm responsible for all of the construction and facilities purchases, um, all of the public bidding, solicitation processes. I evaluate the proposals. I secure contracts. Um, and of course, the, the best part of my job is that I report to the state of Illinois um, on all of that. <laughs> so um, I also have previous leadership experience in um, environmental health and safety um, at a manufacturing um, plant. And so both of those careers have given me an opportunity to um, have a compliance focus um, in a leadership position and um, have taught me how to lead a group of people while promoting that um, ethical culture of doing what's right, even when it's not always fun. So neither of those jobs are super fun jobs or jobs that people want to hear from most of the time. Um, but I, I know the value of um, the compliance piece of it and the doing the things that are right, even if it's the hard thing to do. Um, and then one more caveat, um, separate from that, I'm also the director of the Penguin Project in McLean County. Um, we're small business owners, like I mentioned, and I volunteer with several amazing organizations in the community. So that's a high level view of who I am. Awesome. Yeah, that's good. That's a good, good summary. Um, so, so here's the, here's another kickoff question that's going to help us kind of stir, stir up some conversation is why did you decide to put your name in the race? Why are you running for mayor? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I expected it cause you know, that's why I'm here. Um, so I decided to run for mayor, um, it wasn't part of the plan to start with. Um, but I decided because I'm an average everyday working person. I come from a humble background. I come from parents that were not able to provide a lot of things for me, not because they weren't working hard, but because of, of what, the way that they were. And so um, I look at things from a perspective of every single thing that I have, I've had to work for. Um, and I have a lot of blessings in my life and I have a lot of, um, of good things, but I notice that there are other people like me, um, that maybe don't feel themselves represented at our local government level. And so um, I think that government should be more transparent and accessible. I think it should be welcoming and equitable. Um, but also I think it has an opportunity to, to put people first. And so that's a big part of why I decided to run. Um, and I think for me, I, I'm an empathetic person, I'm service-centered, and I've been focused on the ways in which um, we're leaving people behind uh, often, or you know, maybe not intentionally, maybe they slip through the cracks, maybe they haven't ever had a seat at the table. And so I think for me, it was important for me to put my name in the hat because I bring a different perspective of of the people that live here. I live on the west side. I live in one of the neighborhoods that has the worst infrastructure issues. Um, and I know what it's like as a homeowner to have those kinds of things happen to us that are completely out of our control. Um, and so that was another big part of why I decided to run for this specific office. Very good. There's a lot to unpack there. So let's let's dive in. First thing uh, that caught my caught my ear uh, was something that I know is uh, prominent throughout your campaign, and that's that you mentioned people first. Mm -hmm. Expl explain what that means to me. So um, people first. So first, we'll start with the People First Coalition. I'm running on a slate of candidates that are running for um, city council, and I'm the only mayoral candidate. There's three city council: Willie Holton Halbert for Ward Three. Pat Lawler for Ward 5, and Kelby Cunston for Ward 7. And we've aligned our forces because each of us come from different parts of Bloomington and different backgrounds, different experiences, but each of us have the same focus on the people that we've encountered that are, um, are not maybe getting all of the things that they need. Um, their needs are not being met um, or they are not prioritized. So they're on the back burner, right? And so when we think about people first, we think about reorganizing our priorities to make sure that there are not people left behind. And I think um, some of that focus comes from my background in special education. Um, if you've ever worked with individuals with disabilities or had the opportunity to spend some time with individuals with dis disabilities, um, for me, it changed my personal view of the, all the places where society prioritizes ability. And um, it shaped my, my 
experience as a fierce advocate for those left on the margins and not just people with disabilities, but that's, that's a place where I, I have a lot of, um, space in my heart for people that um, are often left behind. And so I also think it's really important to note that like, even though I'm a fierce advocate for people, um, I also don't think that it's my responsibility to speak on behalf of them. I don't know their lived experience. Maybe I know some of it. I have as a person who is LGBT. Um, I have experienced life on the margins. My spouse has experienced life on the margins, but not the same as other people on the margins. And so my focus is giving them a seat at the table or holding the megaphone for them while they make that statement of the places where they are not included. So when I think of people first, I think of just always considering who's not at the table, who's not being considered, who's being left out, or who's flipping through the cracks that we think we're taking care of that we really aren't. So that's my view of people first. Very good. So let me... Uh, ask a follow-up there. In the last, uh, Terry Renner has been mayor for eight years. Is there instances where you've seen people fall through the cracks or not be represented properly um, that kind of drove you to make that your a big talking point throughout your campaign? Yeah, I think um, I think we'll probably talk about Connect Transit. I'm sure that's a, a thing that we'll end up talking about, but um, I've become almost obsessed with this process of them making their um, bus stops ADA compliant. And I know that there was a big push for it. And I know that the, the goal is to get there by 2024. But I think that when we think of ADA requirements, that's the bare minimum. That's what's been said as like what we should do or what we have to do. Um, for me, I think there's a lot of places where making something ADA compliant has been just a box check and not an actual... Uh, insight into are we making it accessible or are we checking the ADA box and are we prioritizing it? So when we do capital projects, are we thinking about universal design? Are we thinking about the ways in which people will use that space in the future? Are we thinking about the people that may not have been in our initial thought process when we just checked the ADA box? And, and so making something ADA compliant retroactively is expensive, right? And we've seen that, we've had to do that. So I think a big place where we have an opportunity is as we move forward and we do these capital projects like the O'Neill um, pool or and park or maybe the library or these other places, the Connect Transit um, station, uh, making sure that we go above and beyond and not just say ADA compliance, check. Um, maybe we say, where's the places where this could be used by an individual that doesn't have this opportunity now? Um, and maybe that is thinking outside the box and maybe that is doing something that already exists somewhere else. And so um, for me, that's a huge piece. I, I think when it comes to people, we should never be doing the bare minimum. And um, accessibility issues for people with disabilities, um, not just physical disabilities. We, when we think about disabilities, we think about the whole spectrum of disabilities. And um, if we are, are intentionally putting um, energy into something, we shouldn't be doing the bare minimum. We should be making sure that those spaces are fully inclusive of people with disabilities so that they can experience them the same way that we do. So that's that's a place where I'm I'm constantly like, oh, that was a weird thing that we did. Or, oh, I wonder if anybody considered how that might be for someone with um, hearing loss or with autism or who uses some sort of ambulatory device, right, to get around. Did we think about that or did we then later when somebody raised the question have to go back and fix it? So I think that's something that um, catches my eye a lot just from the, the experiences that I've had with individuals that are in those situations. So um, I think there's also always an opportunity to, um, when we know better, we do better, right? And so I, I'm not gonna spend a ton of time on things that I think could have been done better, but I think that there's always an opportunity to look back at things and say, oh, we missed the mark. Maybe this is an opportunity next time we do this to to do it in a way that feels um, like it meets the mark this time, right? So I think hopefully that got to what you were asking. 
Sure. And I, I'm going to kick it to Amelia here in just a second, but I wanted to touch on one other thing you said um, early on, which was transparency. Um, I, I always question whenever I hear a candidate say transparency, because I think every candidate says transparency. So I always just want to know what that means to you and how you think you can improve that. Yeah. So, you know, I got involved in local politics and I actually ran for county board um, first and I uh, narrowly lost that in November and then switched to this um, unexpectedly. But um, when I think of transparency, um, I just think of the ways in which before the pandemic, um, meetings were not streamed or were not accessible to people or someone has to go out of their way to find information or it's not um, easy to access for someone with technology issues or or technology. Um, maybe they just don't know how to use technology. And so um, I think the pandemic shined a pretty big spotlight on the places where we rely heavily on technology or the gaps that we had to put in place. And so we think about, um, you know, virtual meetings. Now, if we had talked about virtual meetings last February, we'd be like, oh, right, those are fine. And now we think about like, we're able to do this podcast because of a virtual meeting. Most of our lives revolve around virtual meetings now, right? And so um, I just think when we talk about accessibility and transparency together, it's removing the barriers that um, that put people in a place to to have to go out of their way to find out information that that should be easily accessible. And um, I have I have a lot of thoughts on transparency, but um, the people who work in government work for us. There shouldn't be any reason why we are having to go out of our way to ask them to share that information with us. And I think while we're on this topic, Justin, I think that you talked about last year, I think you had an editorial about um, the accessibility of the um, mayoral position, correct? Mm-hmm. And um, for me, I I think there's there's an opportunity to talk about um, transparency in in our technology, right? But also in the spaces that we occupy. And so um, when I think about like the boards and commissions that we have, we have a lot of vacant seats right now. Um, When we think about the mayoral race, you talked about the issues with that position um, and the accessibility. And and as a a person who's running for that office, that meant a lot to me because I'm not your traditional mayoral candidate. And my spouse and I are having to make some, um, some decisions based on the accessibility of that office currently. But when we think about like those boards and commissions as well, um, we have to think about the other places that maybe folks are not participating simply because it isn't accessible to them or because someone isn't making space for it to fit their lived experience. So um, when I think of transparency, I think of that too, right? Like where are the places where we're not including someone simply because it doesn't fit their current lived experience? And and part of that is meeting people where they are and and um, removing the barriers. So I think there's a big opportunity, not just in that, um, in the boards and commissions, but other places where we could do better by making it more accessible and transparent for, for folks to know that those exist, right? And that they could be a part of it. So I think that's one place that um, I'd like to focus attention on um, is having those be representative of the people that live here. And maybe that means removing the barriers that keep people from participating. I can't wait to tell my mom someone read my editorial. (laughs) (laughs) Amelia, I'm going to go ahead and kick it over to you. So Jackie, you brought up something that I thought was very interesting, which is Connect Transit. And the city of Bloomington partners with a lot of agencies like Connect Transit, such as the Convention and Visitors Bureau or the Economic Development Council that are not city entities, but that are entities that were created to address community-wide needs, right? Transportation is not just a Bloomington issue, it is a Bloomington normal issue. Marking our community through the the Convention and Visitors Bureau is something that is a community-wide issue, same for economic development. So I'm curious, I guess I have a two-part question. Number one, what is your approach to interacting with those entities and partnering with them if you were elected mayor? And number two, do you have you have you given thought to and do you have any idea of for those entities would you continue similar levels of support in terms of funding or would you want to make adjustments to funding of those agencies 
uh, to the extent that Bloomington is providing funding to them? I think it's a really unique opportunity to look at. And I think issues like our mental health, our public transportation, affordable housing, economic development, social services, and even tax revenue um, usage, like those those could have all handled on a more collaborative effort for a greater impact, I think. Um, and I think some of that is a mindset shift between intergovernmental agencies. I think, you know, I live in Bloomington and I work in normal. I travel down Main Street. And at some point I go from Bloomington to normal, but I don't always know where that is, you know? Um, and I think in, and in the same breath, I live in McLean County where there's a lot of those issues that are the same for me as someone in normal. And so I think shifting our mindset to collaboration, not just within um, intergovernmental agencies, but then, like you said, these different partnerships that we have in the community. Um, and I think for me personally, um, continuous improvement is a big part of why I'm running and a big part of what, how I do things. And so I think having a fresh perspective on issues um, that maybe have become stagnant um, just because we've always done something some way doesn't mean that it's the best way to do it. Um, and again, no one is successful on their own. And I think a collaboration to elevate our community um, is a, is a place that I would like to see um, something that, we put focus on. And I don't know specifically to your question about where I would reallocate or um, change the funding um, without a, a comprehensive review of where those places are that we're currently contributing and where we could be contributing differently um, without doing that um, as a comprehensive review. I wouldn't know exactly where. Um, but I think for me, the value in, in those partnerships is incredibly important. Um, and I think we see that, right? Normal has a transfer station already. That was a partnership. We're getting a transfer station and the partnership to have the funding secured ahead of time is incredible, right? Like having that done already means that there's not a worry in, in how we'll fund that later so that we can focus on other things. And I think there's... Um, when we talk about issues that affect people across the whole community, I, I think regional collaboration is incredibly important. Um, and I think for me, it will be a focus on, on how we do better in those places where we've always done something some way, just because that's what was handed to us. Okay. Well, yeah. Jackie, let's, I, let's... a follow-up question. Oh. Nope. Go ahead, Amelia. Okay, thank you. A uh, follow-up question, and I'm gonna to go a little bit big picture here because um, I don't think we've heard this necessarily yet. We've talked a lot about um, priorities and leadership style, um, which I think is so important in the position of mayor. But I'm also curious, do you have specific goals? If you're elected mayor, are there, do you have an actual checklist of things you want to accomplish um, You know, with those four years that you would be given to really influence how the city moves going forward? Yeah, so I think when we first talk about that, the number one focus for me and I think anyone um, going forward is our COVID recovery. So when the pandemic hit, it was all about response. What do we do now to protect people now? What can we do to secure safety for people now and businesses, right? But the long-term effects of COVID are going to be felt for years to come. And I think it's really important that um, our COVID recovery plans are comprehensive and they're long-term. Um, I think that that's probably my biggest focus. And I think it affects a lot of different things. So when we think about COVID recovery, we don't just mean our businesses opening back up. We don't just mean, um, people not dying, right? Like there, those are big important parts of it, but there's a long-term recovery piece that I think is going to blanket anything that I, I focus on as mayor because it's important to me that our whole community thrives. And I think that um, right now we know that there is um, some challenges for our social service agencies that are taking the brunt of some of that recovery. And so a big focus of mine would be making sure that 
myself and the city council are doing everything in our power to reach out past Bloomington to the the powers that be outside of Bloomington to secure the things that will keep our community thriving. And so it's not all on Bloomington and it's not all on um, McLean County. It's, it's further, right? The state can provide funding. The federal government should be providing funding and it is the local um, leaders that have to advocate for that. Um, and so I think that's going to color everything for a while. Um, and I think that's probably for everyone. That's going to be the focus for a while. But then um, thinking about equity across a lot of different social issues as well is going to be really important to me because um, I think there's a, a big push for equality and inclusion, right? But when we think about equity versus equality, it doesn't mean providing the same thing for every single person in or every single neighborhood in Bloomington. I mentioned earlier, I live in um, South Hill neighborhood and it has considerable long-term infrastructure issues that have been kicked down the road, down the road, down the road. My neighborhood probably needs different infrastructure focus than the East side neighborhoods who also have infrastructure needs, but we don't have the same needs. And so making sure that when we think about equity, that we're meeting the needs of the, the individuals and the neighborhoods and the businesses in a way that makes sense for their actual needs. Um, and so that's gonna be something that for me um, will take up some time is looking at where those gaps are. Um, I don't know where all of them are yet, um, but from talking to people, it's my understanding that there are places where there are gaps. Um, so those would probably be the two main things that for me, I wanna focus on. And then I think you've probably already heard this um, from Pat and Kelby, or you have, I've heard, I've heard their episodes, but um, we have a, a serious housing issue and we are, we've been deemed the happiest city in America. That's pretty amazing. Um, and that's like, that's a cool pin to put on our lapel. And I agree with it because that's my lived experience. I love living here, but I think, um, we can't, we as a whole, the bubble, right, can't continue to ignore the lived realities of our community just because they make us uncomfortable or because they're different than our lived realities. Um, and so I think it's the responsibility of elected officials to acknowledge um, the shortcomings that we have and then work to solve those. And so right now there are approximately 200 people experiencing homelessness. And that does not count the people who are doubled up on couches, who are couch surfing friend to friend. That includes the people who literally do not have a house and four, or four walls and a roof, right? And PATH has extended all of their, their abilities to help them and they've reached out for help. And I think we've seen a good response from our community. Um, but housing is a human right. And there have been cities bigger than our city that have prioritized housing and have solved it, have solved the affordable housing issues. Um, and I think that that's a big focus for me. The COVID pandemic has shined a new light on the places where um, where people are, are slipping through the cracks in that. And then the cold weather, right, has also shined a light on it. But um, I think if we look at Champaign County, or Champaign, the town, I'm sorry. Um, they prioritized this and put a rapid rehousing program into the city. Um, so we have a rapid rehousing program through one of our social service agencies, but it's not accessible to everyone because they have certain restrictions, um, which is, I mean, not to say anything bad about them, but we used to have one through PATH that the grant expired on. And so we do not have PATH doing that anymore. Um, and so... Um, the city of Champaign was awarded almost $300,000 from HUD for their rapid rehousing program. And that was able to kick it off and get it um, started. And so when we think about meeting that very first basic need of shelter, um, then we can start to think about those people then uplifting themselves out of the cycle of poverty. And so that's going to be a big focus for me too, is thinking about the ways that we um, approach our neighbors who are experiencing housing insecurity. And I think COVID is going to is going to have people slipping further into poverty rather than 
out of poverty and it's only going to be amplified by this. And so, like I said earlier, COVID response and recovery kind of blankets all of it because there's a lot of different moving parts that I think need to be taken into account when we think about the way that we fully recover from this. Very good. All right. We are uh, actually a little over halfway, believe it or not already. So it's time for uh, the, my favorite game. It's actually Jeremy's favorite game. So I feel bad he's not on this episode, <laughs> but um, I'm going to do a little rapid fire game. I'll say a word or two. Uh, you give me the first two or three words that come to your mind. We probably will expand on a few of these in the second half, uh, but that's what it's made for just to help uh, spur some conversation. So are you ready to go? I'm going to warn you, I'm probably worse at this than Pat. So best <laughs> of <right>. luck. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, first one is downtown Bloomington. My favorite place. All right. Connect Transit. Um, Connect Transit is vital, a vital resource um, with extreme potential. Right. O'Neill Pool. Oh, so important. West Side, man. We need a park that meets the needs of the West Side people. Uh, Bloomington Public Library. Oh, I love the library, and I hope we do talk about this in the second half. <laughs> uh, urban Sprawl. Um, unique needs because of the urban sprawl. All right. Constitution Trail. Oh, my second favorite place in town. Town of Normal. Um, our sister. And economic development is the last one. Um, should meet the needs of the people and the businesses that are here. All right. You didn't do that bad. That was pretty good. <laughs> I'm really surprised. I was super nervous about that. Um, so before we dive into some of those, I always want to make sure we have enough, enough opportunity to talk about COVID uh, because it's such an issue during this campaign. So the same question that we've asked every candidate is, how do you think Bloomington has done uh, in response to COVID up to this point? And then what would you do to help that recovery uh, once? And you kind of touched on that a little bit, but give you an opportunity to expand on that a little bit more. Um, so... Let's start with what I think has gone well, because um, I think the city of Bloomington um, is in a very unique place compared to a lot of the cities around us. And I want to give mad props to the city of Bloomington for being one of the first cities to prioritize that direct aid back to the people and the businesses that are here. And so um, if we look at Peoria, Champaign, Decatur, that was not the case. Um, and I think that that deserves the recognition um, that there was an initial focus on getting the aid to the people that need it the most. Um, for me personally, when the pandemic first happened, we were safe, we were fine. And my next thought was, how do I support the people who are not safe and fine? Um, and I think that that was the city of Bloomington's focus as well. And I appreciate that. Um, and so I'm going to, I'm going to start with that. Um, can you give me the second part of the question? Cause I might've forgot the second part. It's how well you think they've done up to this point. And then what would you do to help with the recovery efforts of not just the, the full question is what would you do with recovery efforts of not just people and not just businesses, but both combined. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, so I think, the city of Bloomington is not alone in this, first of all. So I think this is another place where the city of Bloomington doesn't need to be in a silo. We're not the only one going through a pandemic. So is normal. So is McLean County. So is Illinois. So is the whole world. Right. Um, and so we don't have to do it alone. We don't have to recreate the wheel. Um, if there are ways that it's working for other places, why aren't we doing that too? Right. And so being creative with what that looks like, um, being willing to, um, to change if we initially, our focus was on just the initial response. Right. And that's perfectly acceptable. How do we look forward? How do we make sure that we continue to get those funds? How do we continue to prioritize those funds um, in a way that helps our whole city thrive? Um, so first, get out of those silos, work together, um, collaborate so that we all survive this. Um, and I think um, also making sure that not just our businesses keep their doors open, but that um, the, the city should have and maybe not just the city, maybe local government um, as a blanket statement should should be having a plan in place so that when the weather warms up and we've not quite 
gotten fully vaccinated and we haven't quite gotten that herd immunity, um, that we have a plan in place to open things um, in a way that is creative. So we got a little creative with um, letting businesses use their sidewalk or spaces and making those 10 minute pickup spaces. Like maybe we need to expand some of that um, and continue that through the, the upcoming warm weather, which I hope is coming soon. Um, and think about different ways that we can plan for a slow reopening on a slow return to normal so that we don't get ahead of ourselves and think we're safer than we are and then end up back where we were, um, let's say in November um, or back to August, right? Um, and so for me, thinking about those ways that we initially responded and then how do we do it better next time? Or how do we expand on what worked well? Um, and, and I don't have all the answers and I don't think anybody does. We're all doing a pandemic for the first time, right? But for me, it's a really good opportunity for us to collaborate and to make sure that all stakeholders have um, a seat at the table and have their concerns heard. So we're small business owners and um, we were very lucky that the pandemic didn't affect our small business like it did a lot of our friends who are small business owners. Um, we were able to adjust our model pretty easily. But um, thinking about the ways that we've put burdens on small business owners and, and on individuals who are experiencing this um, and thinking about the ways we can do better by them continuing on into the next few months, into the next year, into the next two or three years um, is really important. How how do you think, um, I guess, where do you fall on how the city enforced some of the regulations with specifically restaurants and bars, right? Going through the Liquor Commission uh, was very controversial for, for a lot of people and for a lot of different reasons. So do you think that was the best way to go? Was that just the only option? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think that's a good question. And I don't have all the answers to that either. I think our local government was put in an unfortunate, all of our local governments were put in an unfortunate situation, trying to navigate it in a way that made the most sense. And we saw different responses from the different agencies, right? Um, but for me, I was extremely frustrated as a food service business we still have to meet all of the health and safety guidelines set by the health department, right? And we still had our regular health inspections separate from COVID. They still came out and did our regular health inspections. And if we weren't following the rules, we would have gotten fines or potentially been shut down, right? Like part of owning a business is making sure that you're meeting those guidelines. And if you're not willing to do that, then there should be some sort of accountability. And we know that. We know that when the health department comes out, if we don't have something labeled correctly or the cooler is not the right temperature, we could make people really sick. And so it's important that we don't do that. And then further from that, um, we have people that work for us. We don't do this alone. We have employees. And for us, it's really important that our employees were also prioritized as surviving this, not just us keeping our doors open. And so um, I don't know what the answer is and I don't know, we can't undo what was done, but I do think that there's an opportunity to prioritize the health and safety of the people who, who live here because ultimately I don't want anyone's blood on my hands because I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And I also, as a business owner, am held to a certain standard because that's how it works when you own a business. And so if we didn't, we would expect those accountability um, measures to come into place. I don't know if the Liquor Commission is the best answer. Um, I think, again, I don't want to harp on what someone else has done in a situation that we've never experienced before, but I think there are other places that don't have a liquor license that um, may not have had to worry about that so much that could have kind of done things how they wanted. And so maybe that's not the best, um, maybe that's not the best approach, but it was an approach that they felt met the needs in, initially. So um, like I said, I don't have all the answers. We're trying to navigate this pandemic just like everybody else for the first time. But I think prioritizing people is important. And obviously, small business owners are my neighbors. They are, they live here too. I want them to, to get through this. I want them to survive this. I want their employees to survive this in a healthy way. Um, and so I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I think our state 
put restrictions in place and then didn't provide enough resources for um, municipalities to um, navigate that and to hold businesses and people accountable. And then municipalities had to make decisions based on the resources that they had available. And um, and I don't know that I have a good answer for what it looks like because I don't know that I've seen anyone handle it well. I have seen other places handle it worse than we did. Um, and I know we don't want to go into that. Um, but I think, I think for me, having people who are affected by it help guide what it looks like going forward is a big part of it. So that's small business owners, that's um, individuals that work in those small businesses, that's people who work in the big box stores too. Like they've been essential frontline employees too. And so, um, and having the space to be able to share what didn't go well and then capitalize on, on what we can do better is a big part of it too. Very good. Go ahead, Amelia. Justin, do you, do you mind if I jump in? Because I, I, during the rapid fire, one of your answers made me very curious to hear more. And that was about urban sprawl when you said it creates unique needs. Can you expand on that? What did you mean by that? Um, I think, so I, I've mentioned it before, but I live in one of the oldest neighborhoods. Um, my, my block actually had the tree that we lost in 2019. That was the Lincoln tree. That's one block over from my house. And so there's unique needs for those really old historic neighborhoods, right? Um, that have been sometimes in the infrastructure conversations kicked down the road. Um, but I think when we think about urban sprawl, we also set ourselves up for other infrastructure issues down the road, right? And so we had a big boom where we went from, you know, a certain size to all of a sudden we have all these neighborhoods popping up and they're going to be needing infrastructure upgrades at the same time. And so when we sprawl out like that, we start to... Um, have changing needs in that way. Um, and then we also have, um, you know, there's the roads that are involved with that. We have to take care of the old roads that already exist. And then we have to continue to upgrade those new roads. Um, and then I think there's just the transportation pieces of it and the accessibility to the things that um, we prioritize as important, right? The more we sprawl out, the farther we get from those things or have to provide those things out in those farther areas. So I know we have a fire department um, and headquarters of a fire department that's empty out in a neighborhood four miles out of town because at one point we prioritized it and then it got moved, right? And so um, I think there's a unique opportunity to make sure that all of the needs are met. And I think when we talk about the ward system, I don't know if you've talked about this with any candidates, um, and Justin, I see you smiling um, because I think we could probably talk about this for a long time, but um, before I moved to Bloomington, I lived in Peoria um, to go to ICC, and my brother lives in Peoria currently, and they have a hybrid system for theirs, so they have some that are ward-specific um, representatives, and then they have an at-large um, representative pool as well. And what they've seen is that um, urban sprawl, they've gone from, you know, a tight knit city to this urban sprawl. And you have people representing folks from all over that sprawl that don't actually live in the neighborhoods that they are representing. Um, and then it goes back to that accessibility if we're not making space for people who live in the, the ward. So when my entire neighborhood was under water um, because our sewage system in South Hill is atrocious, um, I would called my older person and he already knew about the issues and he asked me for pictures. He asked for um, feedback on what happened, what damages we had. And he was already prioritizing that conversation based on my needs and my neighbor's needs. And I think when we think about urban sprawl and then we kind of put those other things in it, um, into play, if we went with a system like that, um, we potentially risk leaving people behind once again. And so, you know, coming back to that, where are people slipping through the cracks? There's a potential when we have that sprawl 
to leave people behind. So that's a big focus for me. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it just creates unique um, opportunities for us to make sure that we're not leaving people behind. Very good. So let's talk about some of the other things that came up during your rapid fire. Uh, these are usually issues that get brought up every campaign and that's why we put them in there, of course. Uh, but you put focus on the Bloomington Public Library. Um, obviously near downtown has been talked a lot about expansion over the last several years. Uh, give us your thoughts on um, how that's gone so far and, and then the city's role in helping to tie the Bloomington Public Library and help it expand and all those things. Yeah, so um, again, it's a complex issue that requires a complex or a comprehensive um, and collaborative effort. And I know that the library has been that. Um, and I, I think the library is a vital community resource. And so it needs investment, it needs energy. Um, but I think looking at the redevelopment as an opportunity to meet our community's unique needs, rather than just developing it for the sake of improving the face value of the structure or because we have to, um, I think is an important piece of it. And um, I've been interested because I know that one of the potential places for it was the downtown um, parking deck that is uh, a mess and does need to be addressed. Um, I think that's an understatement, but um, for now, what's been prioritized is revamping the current structure. Um, and I think it has a unique opportunity to make sure that we are looking at the needs of the surrounding area. I think it's, for me, I think it is a little unfortunate that it's kind of outside that downtown bubble. And I think there could have been a potential opportunity to, to pull it in, but it is on the bus route um, and it is, a place where it already exists. So moving forward, it's gonna be redeveloped rather than moved. Um, but I don't know that the, the conversation's over, right? I think for now, there's that focus. Um, I think I think it also is something that we could talk about and I'll roll in something else that I think um, the public library serves for a lot of people and that's internet access. So I know of a specific conversation that I had with a constituent that um, they were so thankful that the library, um, opened up their public Wi-Fi to expand it during the early part of the pandemic because they needed that for school and for work. Um, and they were able to access it from the parking lot. Um, and so like for me, I work in Uptown Normal. If I decide to take a break from my desk and go for a walk and grab a coffee or do a little shopping, I have free public Wi-Fi that I can use in Uptown Normal. And I think that the Bloomington Public Library serves that purpose for a lot of people, but there could be a potential that the Bloomington city could look into ways that they could expand that as well and maybe take that need off of the library and provide it for everyone in the downtown area. Um, and so that's kind of a twofold answer and I apologize that I jumped into something else, but I think um, exploring ways that we can expand access is important um, rather than just checking the boxes once again. Yeah. It, I, if the, um, just talking about the, the unfortunate, the, the library sits outside of that buckle of downtown. Um, and I won't get into uh, why I think they should have moved in there, but they are where they are now. And I think there's opportunities um, to go into another one of the rapid fire things of thinking about how we can like incorporate constitution trail, connecting things like the library to downtown um, and making it more of a, um, you know, more comprehensive look at how we can connect those things. I've spoken to Mayor Renner and, and others uh, often about how we can do a better job of connecting Westland to downtown because Normal does such a good job with ISU um, and connecting that to Uptown that I think we're missing opportunity there by not having Westland better connected to downtown. And we could do that through the library also and can have them all connected. So I'm just throwing, I, agree. I throw in my two cents every now and then hope I plant some seeds. No, but. I agree. And I live in the West side, so I don't have access to constitution trail. If I want to use constitution trail, I have to drive somewhere or ride my bike somewhere to get on the trail to then access the other pieces of town. Um, and I have the opportunity to volunteer with healing rides, which is a, 
um, special bike with a wheelchair on the front. Um, and it lets people who maybe haven't had the opportunity to experience the beauty of Constitution Trail go out and experience, or maybe they just can't anymore because of their own um, inability to get out there. Um, but there's a lot of places where we can't ride those bikes. Um, and so we have a specific window of, you know, blooming to normal that we can ride that is safe and, um, you know, doesn't have the crazy bridges or um, doesn't have a lot of traffic that we have to cross. But like, if we want to go out and ride with uh, residents at Luther Oak, for example, we have to load the bikes up and take it out to access that portion of the trail because there's it's not accessible to the rest of the trail. So I think there's a lot of opportunity to connect um, places in town better to the Constitution Trail. And I think your point is exactly right. Like, how do we connect those vital pieces of our community to it as well and make it more accessible to everybody? So I think that's a great point. And just staying on the kind of that subject, and, and we'll talk about downtown in just a second, because uh, of course, you're on a podcast with me, so you have to. <laughs> but um, Very near downtown is the warehouse district. And that's something that got a lot of attention. I think Amelia uh, can back me up during our task force uh, in 2017 of how we can incorporate that in with downtown and what good uses that could be. And there hasn't been much talk since. And, you know, it's close to South Hill. It's, I, I lived over on West MacArthur for over a decade. So like, I'm very familiar with that area. Um, how can we, I mean, if we can take part of that warehouse district that's near downtown and revitalize it somehow, that would make a tremendous impact on a lot of people um, that live because those neighborhoods are so tight to that warehouse um, that it could have a huge impact. Do you have any thoughts on ideas on how we could incorporate that in with the downtown or Constitution Trail or any kind of revitalization ideas for for the warehouse district. And I'm putting you on the spot. So don't feel like you have to have a plan for this. I'm just asking. No, I don't have a comprehensive plan, but I love the focus on it because um, my favorite store in town is retrofit culture. And they used to be in that warehouse district and they ended up expanding over further on the West side, which is also an amazing use of that old space. Right. Um, but I think a focus on uh, existing structure or structures that could better serve that area's needs. Um, you are very familiar with that area. It is a food desert. Maybe it's an opportunity to provide fresh food to people. Maybe it's an opportunity to have overflow um, farmers market um, produce brought there, like we have in the West Market or the West um, Bloomington Revitalization Project. Right? They have fresh produce brought there afterwards. Um, maybe it's an opportunity to have a co-op space where entrepreneurs could um, kind of build their dreams there. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know what the answers are, but I think it has a great potential. And for me, I love the idea. I was, you guys can't see me on the podcast, but I was smiling really big because I would love that. Um, we live kind of close to uh, Miller Park um, and Denny's Donuts. We're kind of in between there. And there's some real, oh, and of course, Jean's Ice Cream, excuse me. Um, and there's two people, two kinds of people in town. When I tell them where I live, they either know Denny's Donuts or Jean's ice cream. And so there's two different types of people, but um, there's not a lot of other rich community engagement on my side of town. We've got Miller Park and we've got, you know, some of those old businesses that are staples in the community, but why couldn't we use those structures for something um, that, that builds that up? So I loved that Keg Grove went into the space right on the trail. I think that was a great use of that space. Um, I love that um, we've revitalized some other buildings in town. And um, I think we look at Peoria, they have taken their warehouse district and they've made it more accessible to small businesses. So the original 8-bit is in the warehouse district there. They have yoga studios going into those spaces, breweries. Um, I think that a focus on revitalizing those spaces would be amazing, um, but I don't have a plan for it. But I'd love to hear more about what that might look like because it would be really cool to revitalize a space that has been long forgotten. So we're close. So let's go ahead and drive to downtown from the warehouse district. Um, so what kind of thoughts do you have on what the city can do um, to help push, you know, more downtown private development to occur 
um, private interest to occur more. We have a decent amount of people living downtown now, especially when you compare it to five, 10 years ago. Um, but it still seems like businesses have not moved in at the rate that we need. And some of the uh, development hasn't happened at the rate that was expected. So what thoughts do you have on that and the city's role in that? Yeah. So Amelia, this is one of those places where you might have to step in because Justin and I could talk about downtown for for ages. Um, I love downtown and I love the revitalization that has happened down there. Um, I love seeing it busy on first Friday. I love the farmer's markets. Um, and there's a lot of businesses downtown that we we prioritize as, as like businesses that will go out of our way to go to, which isn't that far from where I live, but you know what I mean. Um, and so I think there's also when we revitalize an area or when we put extra interest in an area, we need to revamp how we um, take care of that area. So I know there's been the garbage issue. Um, I know there's been um, some special permit um, events that have happened. So we've got the GLT concert. We've got um, Prairie Pride Coalition and the Bistro bringing the Pride Fest back, which was amazing. And I'm so excited that it happened and we got to have a booth at it and serve food, which was super cool. Um, but I had to call my older person because there was a garbage can right by where we were serving food that we had to have a health department inspection for. And people were putting garbage in it and it was just piling up, piling up and then falling into our tent, which is super gross. And we'd have to keep cleaning it up. And so I called my older person and I was like, hey, the city of Bloomington didn't plan for this event. And now we have all of this, the garbage cans are overflowing. Um, and so I think there's an opportunity to think about like when we have those special things, when we encourage places to have these events downtown, we also need to think about the, the pieces of it that often are forgotten. Um, and I, I know you talked a lot about the um, the fairs and the the special events that Normal has. And I think Bloomington is fully capable of utilizing that space as well. I think it just takes us refocusing on how we accommodate that um, and how we encourage businesses to participate in it. I love the First Friday um, concept because it gets it's a network of all of the different businesses and art galleries focusing in the same direction, right? And I think that's a... Uh, opportunity that we could be capitalizing on is all of us um, making sure that each of the spaces in downtown Bloomington are moving in the same direction. And, you know, we rem remove the barriers for businesses that want to relocate. There are people that want to relocate there. Um, I think that's a, an opportunity as well. And I will mention your other editorial on, or I guess it was just maybe a personal Maybe it wasn't an editorial, but about Holland, Michigan. Yes, um, no, I did do that. Yeah. Okay. That's one of my favorite places to travel to in the United States because it's such this unique little space. But I love some of the things that you called out about making um, those spaces more accessible outside and getting people out. Um, and I think we got to see a little bit of what that could look like when we changed the COVID restrictions to allow businesses that normally wouldn't have out, had outside dining to have that or um you know, moving those parking spots around. And I think that there's a great opportunity to um, to revamp it a little bit in a way that makes people want to spend time down there um, and, and want to share that space with other people. So um, I just wanted to call out that specific, because we love to walk around downtown Holland. You could just walk for hours and not get bored. Um, so I, I wanted to call that out because I'd love to see Bloomington look like that. Yeah, and, and Holland's not anything like, special, right? It's nothing that Bloomington couldn't be. So I think Absolutely. that would be, that was important too. Yeah. Okay. I have a, I have a process question. I'm very much a process person Okay. Uh, because big ideas and the ability to generate them are important, but you have to be able to, to, especially in the position of a mayor in a leadership position, you have to be able to take those ideas from the planning stages to, to actually happening and, and, and accomplishing something. So I'm curious, when you talk about things, and, and let's stick with downtown Bloomington, uh, because that's our topic, what is that next step? Because you've been talking about ideas and how you know you envision downtown, but we have a lot of ideas that have been ratified, right? We have the downtown uh, strategy plan by Farron Associates. We have our comprehensive plan. We have the downtown streetscape plan. We have the downtown task force. All of these things that were intended to help get progress in the downtown area. So we have a lot of plans 
but they haven't been put into action. So where do you go? So if you're elected mayor, do you start from scratch uh, back to the idea stage or do you build on these plans and ask, well, you know, what are the ideas worth pursuing and how do we get it done? Um, I love that you asked this and now we have to have a little another hour to talk about it, but um, <laughs> I know process itself can take, I mean, especially when we talk about what's happened and hasn't happened could take all day, but I'm, yeah. curious, I'm really curious about how you would approach that because that's so important to what you would do as mayor. It's so important. And I know we talked a lot of, a lot of big ideas today, but I want to make sure that people understand that I don't have rose colored glasses on. Um, I have worked in two very different, well, actually three. Let's start, start with working as a special educator. That's a whole level of um, flexibility and process of making sure that each individual's needs are met and scrapping it when it doesn't work or going with what has worked with someone else, right? And so starting there, I know how to um, adapt things to fit the needs of the individuals or the group um, as a start. Um, and then I was a safety coordinator for many years, a safety and training coordinator in a manufacturing facility. And um, nobody wants to hear from the safety coordinator. But when I say that, <laughs> I'm serious. Um, but when you, when we say that the most dangerous set of words is we've always done it this way, that comes from my work as a safety coordinator. And I worked in a, a company that was focused on continuous improvement. And so we did things like Kaizen projects um, and continuous improvement projects because it's easy to get in that rut of we've always done it this way. Um, and, but there's always opportunities to improve. Now, that said, I don't believe in recreating the wheel. If there's something that already exists, let's use that. Um, you know, in my role now, I have to follow state of Illinois and the university procedures for making sure that we procure things in a way that is a good steward of the money the public money that we use, right? And also nobody wants to hear from me that I'm not a fun person to call people, right? And, um, but my whole job is to check things off of the list that need to be done in order to do it the right way. Um, and so I am a process person and I also don't recreate the wheel. If something has worked for another university that procured something similar, I'm gonna call that university because we're in a network and I'm gonna say, okay, I see that you guys did this with your library. Can you tell me about you know, X, Y, or Z. And then we might recreate that same procurement that they did over at U of I or up at Northern. Um, and so I don't believe in recreating it if it doesn't need to be recreated, but I also don't believe in sitting in the rut of this is what we've always done, so we're gonna continue doing this. So um, I, I think it's important to note that I, I do have a lot of big ideas and I do have a lot of passion for making sure that we bring people along with us, but I'm also not in those rosy colored glasses. And I, I do believe in, in doing things in a way that is um, process oriented. Um, I, in my mind, I'm a project manager in a lot of the spaces that I hold. And so um, just like running at a goal without setting out the steps first is really not how I operate at all in life. <laughs> so I think, um, without going on for another hour, I think that hopefully that kind of gives you an idea of how I usually approach these kinds of things. So we have about five, seven minutes left. And so to kind of wrap up a little bit, I'm going to ask you a question and you, your response can't be anything COVID related because we're going to take that out of there. Okay. Um, but day one, you're elected mayor. What is, what is the, what is your focus going to be? What are you going to look at and say, this is, this is something I'm going to accomplish within my first month here as mayor. Um, that's a great question. And it's hard to do it without the COVID lens, but I'm going to try. Um, I think an emergency plan is probably pretty high on my list. And, and I know that I said that earlier related to COVID, but I, it's not a COVID specific problem. It's a problem that has been amplified by COVID. But I think having plans in place is really important. Um, like I said, I used to be a safety coordinator. Having emergency plans is important. And um, being proactive in spaces where we have identified that something is an issue, rather than waiting until our entire state is out of power because we didn't plan ahead for an emergency, right? Um, not waiting for the shoe to drop to make changes. And so for me, 
having an emergency plan in place um, is really important. So that's probably number one, um, something that I want to focus on. Um, and, and it does have obviously several pieces to it and, and implications in the COVID world. But hopefully I still answered your question without getting in trouble. You found a loophole, but that's okay. <laughs> All right. So um, Jackie, I want to make sure we um, let our listeners know how can they find out more information about you? Um, Facebook, website, now's your time to, to make sure you get that out there. Fantastic. So I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find me um, at Jackie, F-O-R-B-L-M, Jackie for Bloomington, basically. Um, and I also have a, a website. Um, I'm part of the People First Coalition. So if you go to peoplefirstcoalition.com, you can either click through the candidates there right on the front page, or you can do peoplefirstcoalition.com backslash Jackie for BLM, just like my um, social media. And um, if you go to my Facebook, there is a phone number and the website has it to a phone number and uh, email address where you can get a hold of me. I love talking to people. Um, so I'd love it if people did reach out to me. Um, so hopefully I'll hear from some folks after they get to hear me on this amazing podcast. And I feel like you did a better job of this than I'm about to do, but I still want to thank Little Beaver for sponsoring our election edition. Um, they're located at 5 Finance Drive in Bloomington. Uh, they're open 11 to 8, Monday through Sunday. So every single day they're open. As Jackie mentioned earlier in the podcast, they just did a complete remodel and it's gorgeous. Uh, the inside, I just visited a couple nights ago uh, for the first time since the remodel and it is extremely nice. They do a great job enforcing masks if that's a concern of yours. Um, I saw them make actually ask people to leave that were unwilling to wear, wear a mask. So um, I appreciated that as well. And they have some delicious food. Food is relatively new to Little Beaver. They've only been serving it for a month or so, um, but it looked amazing. Pizza, burgers, salads. It's a kid-friendly environment too. So while you're in there, make sure you thank them for sponsoring our election edition because it is very, very much appreciated. I wish you the best of luck during the campaign. Thank you so much. I think it's important to be able to prioritize listening and hearing from other people. So thank you for letting me do that. Absolutely. And Amelia, thanks for joining us for the podcast today. Thanks for letting me be here. This was a fun conversation. <laughs> <laughs>